Hey everyone, it's Baz out the Smart Party here. Just a minute before we get into the show proper, just wanted to give out a big, massive thank you to all of our patrons who keep the show running. As I'm sure you know, there's costs involved with running this thing, and we want to keep the podcast free all the time. Um, but the patrons who deliver their dollar to us every month really do help with the running costs of the show. So thank you very much for that. And a quick update on Patreon. As always, you can join us. Look at Patreon.com/slash/TheSmartParty where you can pledge as little as a dollar a month, which by my reckoning is 78 English pence at the moment. So for that, you'll get a couple of podcasts every month and access to our Patreon-only rewards, which at the moment, if we can get to $75 per month pledged on there, we're doing a fanzine. It's all written. We've just got to get it printed up and sent out to our patrons as soon as we hit that goal. And at the $100 mark, a new goal for everybody to stretch towards is we will be doing Smart Party Adventures which will feature as NPCs or main supporting characters or whatever you want, will feature some of our very own patrons. So if you want to get involved at the Smart Party at that level, please head over to patreon.com slash the Smart Party. Drop a dollar or more into the tin every month. Just for a few pence, you'll keep the show running the way you love it. Thanks, everybody, and on with the show. Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? We're back again, back in black. This time <laughs> I've got a hand, hand wound from uh, self-mutilations which stopped us getting a special guest this week, which is a shame because he's now off somewhere else. But don't worry, I'll leave that as a teaser for you. <laughs> that sounds in, really in a... bad. You got a self-mutilation because of our guest. Did you like kill him or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's self-mutilation, but I didn't kill the guest. Oh, fumbled it. Well, there you are, loyal <laughs> listeners, both of you. There's a special guest coming. I'm not going to tell you who it is. We'll just leave it there as a teaser. Anyway, heckling me in the background, as always in the peanut gallery, is Baz. How are you doing, Baz? Oh, I'm all right, mate. I'm fine, thanks. Don't don't cut any limbs off over the course of this podcast, because the I don't want to fill oh, in the accident sorry. reports. Health and safety is your, our number one priority on this podcast, as you know. <laughs> Health and safety has been the death of many a cult. <laughs> <laughs> The paperwork involved in blood sacrifices got too much for many a cult member, I can tell you. Yeah, I, I think it was the uh, the people from Hero Quest they sent an assassin after you for for an old grudge. <laughs> <laughs> they need to do a better job then. <laughs> well, they do in or, lots or not, of different actually. ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, talking of uh, <laughs> paperwork and health and safety and all the rest of it, what I wanted to chat about this week. Uh, was the sort of things that I would call bean counting in games, Baz. I'm sure yeah. you know what I mean. So you have stuff like uh, counting money. We can get into that in a bit. Like, do you even bother counting how much money your character's got and coins and keeping checks and balances, that kind of stuff? Encumbrance, fatigue, what they're carrying, uh, all kinds of things like that. They're just the basic ones. But I think as, we, as the conversation develops, we'll come up with all kinds of other things that you have to keep track of, or perhaps you like to keep track of in a game. Uh, and I probably want to ask, ask the question do we need to anymore it's fun having computer games where it does it all for you and you just automatically see whether you can carry any more or you can spend any more or do whatever but in role playing games do, do we really need bean counting anymore Baz do you, let's start with the basics then do you care about money do you want gold pieces in your character's purse uh, no no I don't no. I mean I, I really I really dislike and I don't think I've ever done it yet but I really dislike saying in answer to your questions it depends <laughs> I like to be kind. Of, we both like to be quite, you know, have have a sound opinion on stuff and be prepared to back it up. Um, but it does kind of depend, doesn't it, a little bit on this one. And it's a big old topic, mate. And I think it's a good one because, um, yeah, accountancy. Um, it does. Role playing seems to attract people of a certain mind. That's. That, I think that's for sure. Um, and certainly, trad games always always do. And um, and there's an element of like you know ticking boxes and writing lists and um, compiling stuff and character sheets and worksheets as well, all of that kind of stuff. And that that goes back to you know something like Traveller, where you could have like your yeah. lonely fun filling in subsectors. Is that bean counting? Because if it is, I don't mind that kind of stuff. But to answer your question directly on the gold piece front, my heart always sinks a little bit when I'm playing D and D and I feel the need to. To roll on a treasure chart to find out that it's not just some copper, but two thousand eight hundred and twenty-two copper, and then I have to <laughs> listen to the party divide it up and worry about how much of it going to give to the person who didn't show up that week, but we'll be back next week. And 
oh man alive none of us signed up for that but if you take it away from people they do get a little bit twitchy I think yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can do it does depend on different styles of games I remember from back in the glory days when we played at university there was one character who's um, well the character was unconscious the player was very much awake and just kept saying annoying things <laughs> and getting in the way so I kept finding him gold every time he did that and <laughs> so when I got a real life interruption I'd take money off his character who was in a coma <laughs> very strange days <laughs> but it was a tactic that eventually worked they were excellent um, days yeah 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 so the the stuff like I've recently picked up Coriolis one of the uh, the Swedish games from the Free League yeah uh, which I think I quite like it's Arabian Nights in Space uh, and the particular aspect that pertains to this conversation I was looking at the equipment section and there's um, the stuff there's Burr I think it's called which is the currency uh, and for example one of the equipment lists uh in there it's got clothes which like I don't right. know in a role playing game do you need to write that down or do you assume that people actually will have clothes and we're not assuming it's a naked game unless you specify that and then the, the clothes range from between 50 to 1000 burr and it's like well that doesn't is that like is 50 a pair of underpants and a thousand is like a Gucci dress I don't know or Like, well, how does that help me in my role playing experience or whatever like to be fair to them over the page there's a double praise spread of these like um costumes and mm. outfits and stuff like that which is good for flavour that you put in front of your players and go in this Arabian Nights in Space game this is what people look like that's all cool uh, but I don't understand the bean county bit of having it in an equipment list and then having a wide price range and then not really like why Why does it matter how much I don't know the, the relative cost of that value doesn't really add up to anything uh, and then it's got other stuff like a list of different foods like uh, you know falafel or whatever or you know drinks and stuff, but no prices associated with them. And I don't mm. understand. It seems to be this weird mix of. It feels like it, the game feels, or whoever wrote it, felt like they needed to have an equipment list and they needed some kind of prices. But there's just this mismatch between there being some prices for some things and not for others. That the scale, of the prices don't matter. That like basic stuff that you get anyway. Why do you need to list it? And I think that's the sort of stuff when I'm talking bean counter that I get a bit frustrated about if it's if we broke it down to something more like can you afford the nice sexy gun or not I can see why you want to know that amount of money but for other stuff uh, I don't know I feel like we're better off with like wealth levels and stuff which is the bit on this game I've not really got into it too much but I think that's more kind of where I'd like to see things going like what's your standard of living like that's the sort of thing they have in the one ring and whatever yeah 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 well <laughs> yeah I, I, I think that's right mate. that's my preference too and um, I think abstract that stuff away seems to work for me personally. But I've got to say, you and me ain't the only gamers in town. Um, <laughs> the only ones Heresy. on this podcast. Heresy. <laughs> <laughs> the only ones listening to this rubbish. But um, <laughs> but whenever I've whenever I've broken out systems before that have that kind of slightly abstracted stuff, wealth levels, whatever. Again, depending on the crowd you've got, if you come from your if you come from the D and D branch of the role playing tree, it's quite a jump to go from not accumulating gold pieces to having maybe a scale that goes from one to five with like dirt poor at the bottom and like filthy rich at the top uh, and making like, you know, wealth check rolls to see if you can buy a turnip. Um, <laughs> that's uh, that's quite a jump. And, and and there's usually a rebellion against it. I remember D20 Modern went with uh, went with wealth levels, whereas the game that it was came from is, is very much about lists and lists of stuff and about the difference between... Um, a hemp rope and a silk rope mm. and that might have no difference in the game whatsoever but people do like equipment lists and they do like shopping and I think again it's that kind of mentality isn't it where you can have that lonely fun um, of going shopping for superpowers or shopping for gadgets and writing them on your character sheet I mean for, for me it paled a little while ago I can't bear the, the, the shopping for equipment bit of any character generation so mm. Those lists I always glaze over. I've got no need to see more than three types of gun in any kind of modern game. Like, you know, big, medium and small will probably do me for pistols. And even that's yeah. probably too, too many. But they must be there for a reason because people do seem to get get carried away with buying like supplements for, that just have equipment in them. Yeah. Well, I do, I do like it. Uh, what... I suppose one of the best ones I saw was in Slay Industries, which, you know, systematically is, is awful. But from uh, the hardware point of view, they had a hardware catalogue, they had a, like a fake magazine for guns and armour and quotes from celebrities and stuff like that in the um, in the game. So without having any stats attached to it, 
you could just flick through that book and look at sexy guns and think, yeah, I want to buy that one, or that one looks better than this one. Or there's um, one called the Blair Blitzer, I think, which was, um, you know, reasonably powerful gun, but for for whatever reason, you you could get it in different colours, or you could get uh, you know special flashes down the side of it, and just for this special Blitzer to get it in a I don't know, translucent colour or something, it cost you twice as much. Mechanically no different, but players more than happy to pay double the price because it was a special one. Uh, and it's that kind of thing. You can convince... Well, you don't even have to convince players. You have to stop them spending too much money on things sometimes uh, if they think it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, there's that, right. And, and actually, that, that sort of reminds me of the stuff about Slay where it was all super cool because you had big catalogues and stuff. Um, it kind of brings me on to my personal bugbear. If yours is gold pieces, mine's probably ammo. Ammo is one of yeah. those bean counting places where, oh, uh, well, I suppose there's broadly two camps. Is there two camps? I don't know. My camp is I don't give a monkey's rat's ass about it. I don't, where, where do you sit on the whole ammo thing, mate? Um, I've chilled out about it in my older years. I remember many games at university where I used to track people's ammo so I could tell <laughs> them when they were out of uh-huh. and laugh at them. Um, back in my Viking hat days, you but, tracked yeah, it, I'm, right? I'm, so that was you tracking it, yeah. not you made them track it. Oh yeah, well in the end they tracked it themselves, they weren't at first, uh, so I started doing it because they were just having these unlimited gun battles and it was getting on my tits, so I started tracking their own ammo for them so that I could tell them when they'd run out <laughs> and laugh at them, uh, and then they eventually learned and started tracking their own ammo, um, but yeah, like, like these days I don't care if anybody tracks ammo really, uh, I suppose there's a limit, I prefer the kind of more abstract methods, hmm. Um so I think I think I'm right. I said I'm just reading Coriolis. So I'll probably get a lot of this stuff wrong and get lots of angry abuse from both our listeners. But um, I think there's a thing in there where when you go full auto, you have to reload the next round or something, or you have mm-hmm. to take action points to reload, and that's just it. There's no like you know, you have to have a minimum number of bullets in your gun to be able to go full auto, and it uses three times the rate of fire like that. It's just like if you use it in this fashion, then you've got to make a reload roll or whatever. Spend the action points to do that next time round. Something of that nature, quite like. Uh, or how Savage Worlds handles extras. So if you've got a fire team with you, they've got like low, medium, high ammo, whatever it is, uh, and it just drops a level every time you've got a firefight. It just mm. naturally drops until you go out and get them some more ammo. So that, that kind of stuff, I think, is a lot better. Or if you roll a one, that means you've run, your clips run out for whatever reason. It has its yeah, problems. But... Like, you know, you get tilled up for a big fight, you go in there and you roll a one first, it's like, oh, yeah, you've run out of ammo. It's like, I've just put a brand new clip in, what are you fucking talking about? So there's the, like, a bit of that kind of verisimilitude that's lost. But I think it's a, just a, an easier way all round of keeping track of stuff. Yeah, the roll one to run out of ammo, that, that just, that's always worked just fine for me. I quite like that. Because what you want, actually, is you do like, or I do like anyway, I like the out-of-ammo moment. That seems to be an absolute classic in films and comics and books. And, and that would be a cool thing to have in a role-playing session. Because it's the equivalent of a fumble, isn't it, really? That's what you're saying. And it's an obvious one to do. If, if there's gunplay in your in your game and someone rolls a one, it's, it would seem like a wasted opportunity to not do something like that or have it jam or whatever. Yeah. So, and if you're going to have that out of ammo, then you kind of... It feels like you should have ammo tracked in some way just generally because uh, otherwise, you know, because people are then going to want to avoid that. So then they're going to want to carry clips. And if they're going to carry clips, they want to know how much it costs. And they want to know how many they can carry, and then you, you get into a vicious circle. Then of like, now we're blind. Yeah, we're back into the economy and encumbrance. And all I wanted to do was not track ammo. <laughs> My game's totally bust, yeah. and it's become a spreadsheet. <laughs> well, well, here's another interesting one from this Coriolis that I've, that I've spotted. Is mm. that um, generally you roll to a, a skill? You know, it's like stat plus skill sort of, sort of stuff, and you have to get it's a bunch of d sixes. <clears throat> excuse me. And you need one or more success, uh, sixes to get successes. Like a six will do. If you get more sixes, like a super success with extra benefits. That's basically it. Yeah. Uh, but if you mess it up, you can just you can have a reroll by pleading to one of the icons, like the gods of the world, or whatever, which is fine. But the uh, the GM gets a darkness point, and you might get darkness points for other reasons. And, then, <laughs> and what was GM, it that you... first attracted you to this game, guys? <laughs> <laughs> the darkness points. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but you, then you can do things like you can say that someone's gun jams by spending these darkness points, or that they're out of ammo, and things like that. And I mm. don't quite know how that'd sit. I mean, I see where they're going from. You kind of give players a bit of rope to hang themselves by saying you can have as many rerolls as you want by stacking all these points. Yeah. But then when you get into a firefight or something, it might mean that all your guns jam, or you know something else horrific happens. 
Mm. Uh, and I don't know how that sit with people because I think generally players, uh, even myself, you know, I'm happy when fate intervenes. You roll badly or something, you know, that just the, the natural flow of the dice and vagaries of the game happen to you sometimes. Yeah. But if there's a mechanic for the GM saying, no, you can't have fun now, or no, you're just going to do nothing because I'm going to keep spending these points so that you don't get to do anything, I could see that getting quite annoying. But I don't quite know how it would work. I've not tried it in play yet. Well, that, that's like our old friend fate, isn't it? Where you've got your aspects, where you generate fate points by taking on problems. So you, you want to benefit now, that's fine, but you'll have to generate that benefit from taking trouble at another point before yeah. or after. Um, so there's there's more bean counting there, isn't there? You've got like a little stack of chips for a game, yeah. uh, whether it be luck points or bennies or whatever. That sort of resource management... That doesn't seem to be so bad. It's not quite as granular, is it, as counting copper pieces or bullets in a gun or arrows in a quiver or rations in a pack. That, that sort of metagame currency doesn't seem to be onerous because it's something that you have decisions points with. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's the, the sort of physicality of it as well. Like any time I've seen Fate Point used or, or Benny's or anything like that, it's always with poker chips or counters or tokens or coins or whatever. But there's something there mm. that you can physically manipulate and it's not people having to write on the character sheet, you're not really sure what the number is that everybody's writing down or whether they've changed the number correctly or whatever else. I think just mm. having the physical manifestation on the table in front of everybody lets you know how lucky or in trouble someone might be based on the how high the stack of chips is in front of them, that sort of thing. I think that helps with yeah. the flow of the game as well. Right, so let me let me try you out with something here then, mate, because you've just reminded me of something. So uh, uh, both our loyal listeners and yourself will know I've been busy designing the game for like two years now. So, you know, it's <laughs> another 10 years and it'll be ready for alpha playtest. Right? So this, this thing involves an awful lot of writing stuff down, thinking it's genius, looking at it a week later, shaking my head slowly and going, what on earth was I thinking about? And... Uh, <laughs> You would not believe how much effort has gone into the resource management side of the game. So it's a fantasy game, D&D family, that kind of thing, F20 game. So you've got to at least think about resource management because I quite like that in my games. And it's just, I think it is a question of setting the dial as to how much resource management you want. So when you're designing something, you've actually got to decide, would, do I have to have people tell me that they've got torches and lanterns? Or does lighting just not matter in the style of game that I want to have? Or you assume you've got that kind of stuff, you just hand wave it. Mm. And when you're writing stuff down, it really does slow down your thought processes and make you think about it. <laughs> At one stage, this is not going in the final game, okay. At one stage, I just decided the only way that I could possibly replicate lighting, lanterns and torches in my game would be to make whatever player was saying that a character was holding a lantern, was to make them hold a mug. An actual physical mug. And if a character had a torch, they had to carry a pencil. So, yeah. And if they put the pencil down, that's them putting the torch down. And yeah, it might do go you, out. Yeah. So, exactly. Because it's actually it's a pain in the ass carrying this stuff around for real. And it's all very easy when you're in a role-playing situation, sitting in a nice comfortable lounge around a nice table. Do you remember that game we once played with our, our mate John? He ran a game of Savage Vietnam for us. Yeah. And he, he's a Vietnam yeah. reenactor. And um, Vietnam War reenactor. He doesn't reenact the whole country. So <laughs> Vietnam War reenactor. And he's, he, had, he had a steel helmet, didn't he? Like the, seat, the, the ones you see in Platoon and Full yeah, Metal the Jacket. Yeah, like an extra from the soul, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. And when he rolled the initiative dice, he said, uh, when it's your go, you've got to wear the helmet. It's like, yeah, I'm up for anything. There's not enough hats in role-playing, just generally, right? So, yeah, go on then. <laughs> this thing weighed, I think, 12 pounds of steel. It's not like, you know, your modern cycle helmet, which is what it looks like in films. It was difficult yeah. to keep your head off the table. <laughs> This thing was so heavy. And it's like, oh, God, I need to get my combat action over. This is absolutely killing my neck. And taking it off, it was like, I've just lost six pounds. Brilliant. So <laughs> this is why people who design role-playing games want to put encumbrance systems in, because they think, you know, nothing, Jon Snow. This this should be really hard camping. You, you, can't just, you can't just go, I light a torch. Really? Show me how you light a torch. Go on, I'll give you a flint and tinder right now. I'll come back. I'll wait. It's not light yet, is it? And it's raining in this adventure. Uh, that's how role playing games should be. Yeah. <laughs> You're GM'd by Ray Mears. <laughs> yeah, maybe don't do that. But 
Uh, yeah, as soon as you started, I thought, I bet he's got someone holding a pencil up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it might go back in the game, honestly. I think it's important. Um, and I think it's maybe an element of uh, bean counting, if you want to call it that. But let's just stick with that phrase for this podcast anyway. Um, is I tend to forget about it. So certainly for things like Savage Worlds, uh, <laughs> you'd not know it from playing many of my games, but there's actually penalties for dim or dark light where you can't see very much. <laughs> yeah. I always forget. I always forget. And I never make anybody carry a torch or a lantern, so it never really seems to come up. And then you ever fight in the dead of night, because that's cool, but then I never give anybody penalties because I forget. Spoilers when I go to Shacon, I'm going to remember this time, so you're all going to get write penalties it. constantly. But... You can write it on the back of your injured hand, can't you? Yeah, you'll can. always be scratching it. <laughs> but, but boy band Simon uh, one original smart party member he used to make sure that we were always at minus two for a tense and dangerous atmosphere because that was oh, yeah. honest in cyberpunk it's like yes. we're playing a role playing game when's it not tense and dangerous he goes I know it's rubbish isn't it eh? you're at disadvantage all the time <laughs> it's like, we've got to go into firefights now with like a nice scented candle and a bubble bath otherwise we're all at minus two bit of aromatherapy yeah very very strange um, so what was the other one I was going to mention? Oh yeah, we sort of, we skipped on from uh, coins and money and stuff oh, quite quickly there. Yes. But yeah. there was one thing I wanted to mention as well, which um, is that quite often uh, filthy lucre is the point of the role playing game you're in. Certainly, if it's a D and D type one, is like to accumulate wealth. Um, so that can be a bit odd as well. I remember playing Trinity mm-hmm. or Aeon, Aeon, as it was originally called, the sort of um, slightly anime superheroes type thing. Uh, that White Wolf did um, and you basically had a resources stat in that so it was the one to five dots in things as they are for most things and if you had like five dots you were super rich and you could afford like loads of stuff uh, and it just so happened that to get one of these big cyber arm bioweapon things that my mate wanted you had to have like resources five to guarantee getting it so that's the only reason he got it at first is because yeah. he wanted this cool looking cyber arm thing he'd seen a picture of um, but then as we started playing, it turned out that like it just got so much money, it was ridiculous. So we ended up having a mission, they saying, well, we'll give you like 10,000 credits to go and do this thing. And he'd have a bit of a look at his sheet and go, well, you know, I'll make that in an hour. We're just not going to do it. We're just going to stay on my yacht. Mm. And all of a sudden, it was a bit weird that like he could just afford anything we wanted. It's like, well, why are we going and doing this stuff? We need to think of a different motivation for our characters all of a sudden. But it was also strange in the game that quite often the adventures would offer you money but there wasn't, you know, there's no on your character sheet to write money because it's just a resources dot. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know. There's sort of like that element to consider as well that if if money is a part of what your characters do in the game, then you probably do need to count it to a certain extent. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely legit, mate. You've got to, your game system reflects the setting you want to play in, and vice versa. So, it does it's chicken and egg situation, right? Does D and D become a game about gold because because gold is in the game or in the, the play style. Do you know what I mean? It's like, are mm. there? do you only play it if you're gold hungry or does playing it make you gold hungry? And I would argue probably a bit of both, but probably the latter because the game says you've got experience points, that's the progression, that's arguably how you win or lose the game. And to get experience points, you normally need to in the old the old games, you need to get that literally from gold, which you would get yeah. then from monsters. So, you know, the game was actually about accumulation of gold and power. Monsters just happened to be the obstacles to that. It's less like that now. Now it's, you know, killing monsters for its own sake is good times. So, you know, happy days. <laughs> but if the original yeah. D&D had had wealth levels in it instead and your experience points came from something else, I don't know what that would even be. But if it came from something else then maybe the game wouldn't be so bean county in those areas. Because, yeah. for example, um, it, we, we, you play Trinity. I, I know exactly what you mean, because I noticed this playing some World of Darkness stuff, um, Mage specifically. So in Mage, you get to be... Uh, um, you can cast magic spells, so you can make stuff happen. And it's it's a game with big themes, really, really big themes, like universe-defining themes. It certainly isn't about dollars in your pocket. And... If the central idea of the game is what would you do if you could cast spells in order to do anything? What would you do? And if you muck about with your colleagues or down the pub and you ask your mates that, the first few answers are usually like, well, I'd, I'd just, I'd, I'd have a million pounds. That's what I'd do. I'd have loads and loads of money. 
It's like, okay, right, cool. But then take it another step, which is, all right, you've got a bunch of money. What are you going to do with it? It's like, well, I might buy a yacht. It's like, well, don't forget, mate, you're a magician, so you could cut out the whole middleman and just have a yacht. You don't need the million pounds, right? So, <laughs> and you go, oh, right, I see. Oh, okay, yeah. So I don't have to, like, you know, just live in a big mansion and have a great job and stuff like that. I can have all the benefits without having to do any of the work. And then it becomes, again, not about accumulation of anything. Because when you've got abilities to have anything, you've got to, you've got to work on different stuff. Mm. So... You know, it, so that takes us back to it depends, doesn't it? If wealth is a thing in your game, it's a thing in your game because it needs to be. And if it isn't something that ever comes up, then if it's on the character sheet, it's wasted space. So superhero games never seem to be about money, ever, um, despite some of the famous characters in it being billionaires. And maybe that's why it isn't about money. Bruce Wayne doesn't have to go down the shops for anything, does he? No. And, and seems to be able to buy whatever... Doodads or equipment or super technology he wants without even blinking an eye. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I guess uh, I still like the idea of the sort of. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to formulate my ideas. I speak, which is probably a bad idea. I should think first. But <laughs> what, what have I ever done that in the past? <laughs> it, but it, for example, with Bruce Wayne, it could make it interesting. Uh, idea if you if you ran out of money or whatever or you know he got investigated for tax evasion because he seems mm-hmm. to spend quite a lot of money into penny tax so now all his assets are frozen and he can't afford to buy a new car when he tries his one so now what, what does he do so yeah. there's that sort of thing I mean that that's that's like an interesting premise but it doesn't revolve around like we need to keep track of his finances and see how much money he's got left or anything no. does it so no. you, you can kind of do it in broad brush strokes without having to do the individual accountancy bits yeah, exactly. It's an objective, mate. It's absolutely an objective. Like you know, some of the some of the cool variants in D and D that I've that I've played in the scene over the years, um, it's still about accumulating experience points and going up in power level. But you would get in some variants, you would get experience points for spending gold rather than accumulating gold, and that puts right, a slightly yes. different spin on it. So, uh, Conan, if he made two hundred gold out of an adventure in some snake cultist tomb. He wouldn't get the experience for it until he spent it all on wine and hookers, which is yeah. in keeping with the stories. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, have a big party, go carousing and all the rest of it. So, you know, that, that's that's an interesting thing to do. You've still got to note down what you've got. But you, what what I think we're, we're grasping towards here is there's no problem at all with bean counting if the if what you're doing as the player on your character sheet by noting down some numbers or pushing a few buttons up or pushing a few down, if that has an effect on the game world or the story that you're getting from the table, then mm. happy days. So yeah. just you know, writing down you've gone from 50 arrows to 24 arrows over the course of a mission means nothing. No um, one cares. Nothing at all. Yeah, nobody cares at all. Whereas an out-of-ammo possibility is interesting because there's going to be a scene off the back of it. Batman being a billionaire is not that interesting. Batman being a billionaire who loses all of his money is interesting. Yeah. So, um, one of the recent experiences about, I suppose, is Blades in the Dark, which we're quite yeah. enjoying playing on yeah. and off. Uh, and that that does seem quite fiddly. I don't know if they call it bean count or not, but an element of that is that you've got boxes for tick to tick for things. I don't know whether that, rather than having to write numbers down, makes it better in itself. It feels better. Mm, it's like definitely. back in the good old days when you used to play Battletech or whatever and you used to fill in the dots of your mech as it got heat sinks used up or whatever else and that kind of stuff. Mm. It feels very much like that sort of stuff as well. So you've got like a little chart for wealth and stress and how your gang's doing and how many cultists you've got and how much heat is on your gang and you can move it up and down these little sliders. And that all feels like really cool stuff. It's Not a lot of it happens during the game per se. Um, but the, the good in-game bit that happens, so that's like a separate downside bit where that sort of stuff really happens. But even within the game, you've got stuff happening as well, haven't you? So like mm. when you go on a mission uh, and you decide whether you want a low, medium or heavy load or whatever, and that's how many items you're going to have. But you don't pick the items in advance. You just have a massive list of items with little checkboxes. And as and when you need them, you can tick them off until you reach your load limit. And that's kind of like, again, it cuts out that whole equipment bit while keeping some interesting flavour for each character about what bits of kit they might have and that become yeah. apparent as you, you find them through the story, if you know what I mean. Almost like you're reading a book and they pull out something going, oh, I've got just the thing. It feels like that sort of stuff rather than the old school D&D where you have to like 
try and buy every little thing you can think of to cover any eventuality that you might encounter. Mm. Yeah. So I guess yeah, that yeah. comes down to a playstyle thing, doesn't it? About whether you whether you're happy that you can just magically produce this item that you will assume that you're thought to bring, or whether for you that breaks the sort of fourth wall a bit and you'd rather know that you bought it yourself to face an adventure that you didn't know about before you went on it. Hmm. Yeah, I like it too. Um, there, there's definitely something about physically colouring in a box that that makes a load of sense. Like, you know, White Wolf games where you coloured in dots was way better than putting Athletics 4. I don't know yes. why. It's still <laughs> colouring in 4. But, but uh, you know, that's good. Uh, and Blaze, Blaze does a really good job of it. What I like about Blades, and I mean this is no slur whatsoever, is that it feels like a nice little board game at times. And I think board games, especially these days, and this is why I don't think it's a slur, because I love good board games. And good board games um, are probably better role-playing games than bad role-playing games are. So mm-hmm. there's that. Because they do resource management really, really well. Um, you know, it was it was never a chore. Let's go back in the day a bit. It was never a chore to pick up tokens to put on your character sheet when you're playing Talisman, which could be quite a dull game because it could go on for quite a long time. But picking up yeah. gold piece tokens and dropping them onto your piece of cardboard was quite cool, you know, taking them mm-hmm. out of the central store. And any game where you have to do that, if you're playing Pandemic with little cubes and bits and pieces like that, that's fine because there's something physical to do, which is the equivalent, I suppose, of colouring in a dot. So yeah. it may just be that you need some tech because because um, physically rubbing out a pencil mark on a character sheet and writing in a fresh number just isn't that engaging for me anymore. No. No, I, everybody seems to tracks is fun. Everybody seems to own erasers that don't work, don't they as well? Yeah. Which did the week before, <laughs> but you turn off your session and all of a sudden it just makes a grey smudge all over your character sheet rather than actually erase the more you made. <laughs> yeah. Know, something about dice bags that do that to to erasers, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but but phys- physical stuff to move out chits. You know, like fate tokens in, in fate games are often and, and almost always physical, aren't they? Physical representations. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Bennies for Savage. If you just had to write down how many bennies you had, um, well, you know, you'd never touch your pencil again, would you? Especially not in your games. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing I do in Savage as well is I have, um, have tokens for wings. I have red ah, poker chips. Right. Uh, and then you can physically scan around the table and you can see who's wounded and who isn't. You can take nice. up to three before you get knocked out, almost thing. But that—that's something that you don't get, certainly in like hit point games or things like that. And you know, your fighter might be down to three hit points from the hundred mm. you started with, but it never really gets role played out, and no one can ever, you know, no one ever notices. But if you've got a physical representation in front of the player on the table, mm. then I can look across and go, "Fuck me, Baz has taken three wounds. He's in trouble." Yeah. Without anyone having to say anything about it, or you know, peer at anybody else's character see something, it's just straight there in your face, like you know, you can see. It gives you that visceral feeling of what's happening in the game by being physically present in the room. Mm, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I like that too. I think yeah, game tech has come on a long way, hasn't it? And um, uh, people play online, so you've got all kinds of digital doodads as well, and clicking buttons and making stuff happen is fun. And you know, it's uh, you don't have to go just down to the local library and get black and white photo stats of stuff anymore, do you? So you know, use the tech you've got, and it makes the bean counting probably a bit more fun. Than it would otherwise be, because because yeah. actually, do you know, I mean, as we're talking, I think if I was playing a game that didn't have any kind of tracking of stuff in it at all, I'm not sure if it would have enough game for me personally. And there's plenty of diceless games, but even then, you'd you'd normally got to track something, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Um, even no matter what the resolution mechanic is, but there's normally something you need to track, whether your abilities or just looking at whether you're the best in the party at this, that, or the other. If it wasn't any of that at all, I don't know how much game there'd be left. So I don't mind at all using stuff if it's appropriate to the game, if it adds something to the flavour and the narration, and preferably I've got a little box to colour in rather than a number to rub out and write down a fresh one. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think there is um, there is that difference talking about online stuff that the Blair's game are playing, there's like a pack that they've released for that, which makes it all beautiful and lovely. And you get these little flame backgrounds when you roll some dice on the rest of mm. it. And all you need to do to roll the dice is click the link uh, that says whatever, mm. command or sway or something, and then it rolls the dice for you and shows you the results. Brilliant. There are also a lot of other games I've tried to run and or play online that aren't as easy. So mm-hmm. some of the Savage World stuff I've done, where you're trying to remember what the short code is to roll a D8 plus a D6, and they both explode, but just pick the highest one. Oh, Christ. And there's this 
horrible like delays in play as people like type your various combinations of the chat windows throwing up errors and all that kind of stuff um so i almost feel like online's gone back a little bit almost unless mm. someone's put the effort into to put you a nice pack together which does all this stuff for you uh it's kind of it's not being counted per se but it's the it's the admin of having yeah. to dip, play a game rather than be able to throw a physical dice and just see the number yeah, you do notice uh, games can can slow down at the throwing a dice stage where actually the old analog system of picking up a couple of plastic cubes and tossing them on the table would be quicker. Um I yeah. I've used I've just used an honesty system in some of my online games because I just find it easier and a bit more tactile and um than you know just trying to open little pop-up windows and do a bit of typing. I'm not that skilled on a keyboard to be honest. So um yeah, horses for courses, maybe. You're right. If you're going to type in a dice code, it can be a bit painful for everyone waiting for someone to take what is probably only five or six seconds, but it's a dead bit. And then yeah. if there's a damage roll to do afterwards, or you need to go back on yourself or try it again, and <laughs> it's, it pops you out of the game, doesn't it? It does. It does. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Part of that just comes from familiarity and all the rest of it, doesn't it? Yeah, but I mm. mean, anything we can do to speed things up and make it easy for people... Mm. and get them doing more of the actual game bit is obviously better, mm. I think. So on on that basis, mate, let, let, let me open up a reasonable can of worms. It's a quite an old one. It's well, be, well past its sell-by date. So the <laughs> ultimate... Like us, yeah. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. The, for me, the ultimate <laughs> bit of bean counting that just uh, is still around um, is hit points. So they, they're in almost every game. Sometimes they're in disguise. <laughs> sometimes not much of a disguise <laughs> but the idea of uh, having a big number that you whittle down to zero or beyond and then you try and increase it by pouring healing potions into it or whatever it is or stim packs whatever that's the ultimate in bean counting because that was always the bit on my character sheet that was nearly worn through by the eraser um, <laughs> and you had to print off a new one every two or three sessions so yeah. You know, the arrows thing, which I've moaned about, probably didn't come up that much, if I'm honest. You know, whatever. Um, but hit points, nobody ever fudges that, do they? No GM ever says, um, you've taken you've taken 16 damage, and the player the player looks up and goes, oh, do I have to note it down? The, players, the GM's never going to go, oh, don't worry, just take some damage. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas with arrows, yeah. it'd be like, don't worry about tracking every single one. But <laughs> hit points seems quite important. So... Where, where, what is the, the Gaz opinion, TM, on, on hit points and their ilk? Oh, hit points can fuck off. Um, <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the, the new thing, is, as just saw from Chris McDowell's post he put on G+, recently, is hit projection. It's not hit points anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, right, so it depends on how you want your game to go as well. So the weird thing I always found about D&D is that you're a first-level wizard and you die because you fall over and stub your knee. Uh, and you're whatever a, a twenty level mm-hmm. fire, and it takes three hours of a combat to actually work you down to something close to running out of hit points. Uh, so that seems bizarre to me. You're playing two completely different games there, in my opinion. Um, so I, I, I prefer for myself uh, more of a, a consistent base, uh, and it's not hard to get more consistent than having one hit point or two hundred. That's like you know, there's quite a lot of scale there. Mm. Um, so things like the three wounds in Savage, or it maybe takes you a couple of sword hits to go down in Legend of the Five Rings, or something like that. Something that's going to keep a combat to about three rounds. Um, some kind of system around there that's reasonably consistent, even as you level up or get extra toughness or whatever. I think that's pretty good. Um, I don't hold with the idea of just having this big vat of hit points that can keep getting chipped away. For me, that's where I've lost out on um, perhaps the fun that the people seem to get sometimes playing D&D is you kind of run out of maneuvers sometimes and you are just hacking away at this big chunk of numbers that you're trying to get down to a small number to eventually zero. Uh, and I'll lose interest because nothing seems to be mm-hmm. happening. And you, and you know that you know what's, everybody knows there knows what's happening. It's like you just got a big body that's got a bunch of hit points. So when he gets down to half number, it gets a surge and it goes back up again or whatever else. And you're just kind of tediously chipping away. And it feels like one of those arcade games where you've got the body's health bar that's going down and going down and going down but it's going down by such a small amount compared to the size mm. of the bar it just gets a bit like well now this feels like a chore rather than fun mm-hmm. so I don't mind a hit point mechanic per se uh, I think what I do mind is I mean either too few so that you're just going to die so why have you put a number around it or you've got so many that it's going to take 10 rounds to resolve something because that's not where the fun is for me unless there's lots of different options you've got to do that 
But if all you're doing hits is hitting some of the sword or using a different flavor spell, which essentially does some damage, uh, I'm not interested. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So you know, a, a big revelation for me with hit points was um, was in it, when I had it explained to me that they're not really anything to do with injury. They're not really anything to do with fights. Really, they're a pacing mechanic. That's what they yeah. are. Um, and and from that perspective, it's like, oh right, okay, I get it. All right, yeah, so fine. So you look at like a stress track in Fate. That's their version of hit points. Is the length of time a combat will take to resolve is based on how quickly you can fill a stress track and you can run away and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. as a pacing mechanic, that's a way of doing it. And for me, hit points are another way of doing it. And they are a bit clumsy, and I think badly applied mechanics is just badly applied mechanics. Doesn't mean the mechanic itself is bad, but my god, can you apply hit points badly in all of the circumstances you've just explained, mate? Yeah, I've seen it, seen it all, done it all, been responsible for it. But the fact of the matter is that out of all of the different ways of applying damage to characters in combats, hit points has got a certain kind of cleanness to it. In that, at least it's easy. It you know, at least it's it's visual. At least everybody understands them. They they may not be the best in the situation, but they'll absolutely do. Um, and there's still lots of things that you could do with them too. And 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 I kind of keep going back to it. People don't seem to mind rewriting their hit points on their character sheet, and they really enjoy rolling big numbers when they're beating up orcs. Yeah. So if if someone does a crit and doubles their damage. They, they get a huge visceral thrill out of shouting 22 rather than 11 or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> and you just can't deny that. And I've seen like died in the wall yeah. story gamers who get so excited when they roll a crit, way more excited than my gnarly old D&D players ever would because they've seen millions of crits in their lives. Yeah, But people get a genuine thrill out of rolling it. And it's not just because they rolled a 20 on the dice because that doesn't take any particular skill that's just a number that happens but because they know that they're going to be they're going to be adding up some numbers and making it a big one and the poor old gm is going to be like shaking their head slowly as they kind of draw a line through their monster on the initiative count and it, there's a certain kind of thrill in that i think it's i think it's a a, a classic thing to enjoy in the hobby and I, I would hate to see them completely disappear just because they're not very realistic uh yeah well then you know they they're not really it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't have to be hit points, does it? I think you get a similar sort of thing in Savage Worlds, for example, from their levels of wounds. Because I've seen games with hit points where, you know, you lose half your hit points, you get this penalty, and then you go down to twenty five percent, you get that penalty, and whatever mm. else and that kind of stuff. And that's basically what Savage is doing with wounds. That for each wound yeah. you've got, you get minus one to your rolls, and that sort of thing. So that that's sort of like, I don't know, some of the things I found around hit points to make it a bit more realistic in inverted commas are just things that you can do anyway or do other way of the systems. I don't know. Sure. Um, probably the, the criticism I've got with them quite often is that you've got just a big block and it's either all or nothing. Or mm-hmm. maybe when you get to halfway, you get bloodied or whatever it is so that there's a slight penalty. But the, there's no sense of progression with it. It's just you're you're either there or you're not. And, and I like Correct. I'd like personally to see a bit more of seeing someone in trouble, if you know what I mean, so they know the back's against the wall. Hmm. No, I, I I absolutely agree with that, mate. I, I think that's bang on, and I like Savage too. You know, you know I do. So Savage does a really good job of of getting it to what you need to know, which is you up, down, or somewhere in between. That's about it, right? For wounds, really, and shaken, and the other nice little mechanics. Because that's the bit you didn't, you really need to know, um, because if you're going to model your games on Die Hard, and and why wouldn't you? By the way, that would be a great thing to do. <laughs> then, you know, trying to play the hit point game with John McClane it doesn't look right at all but but the other but other games that have tried to do different mechanics that makes a lot more sense where you know he's covered in blood and grazes and everything else but he's just as effective but he's walking across broken glass and you can just model it can't you yeah yeah so that does make sense mate but you know so i I, I just another one i'll I'll throw into the mix now just do stuff that it doesn't take any massive mental mental capacity to try and justify it. I know that for some people they have a huge problem mentally justifying it 
for exactly the reasons you just said. It's like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Whereas to me, it makes so little sense that I don't have to think about it at all. I don't know if even that makes sense. It's like, okay. you know, you don't need to say any more than like, you've only got six hit points left. I know there's not an ounce of description or flavour or narrative in that whatsoever. But if everybody at this table kind of kind of knows what that means, we can all move on. And there isn't any there isn't any negotiation about like whether you should have sprained ankle as a minor consequence and what would that actually mean and uh, or, or should it be bruised tibia, you know those sort of negotiation based yeah, games. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So because they there's not much bean counting in those, but those games do have an awful lot of like word counting and narrative counting and <laughs> debates about stuff. So at least beans don't lie. So that's where I'm going to stick up for beans. That's true. Four beans, beans is more than three beans. Beans are simpletons, but they're honest. So like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the peasant stock of role playing. Good honest farmer, salt of the earth type role playing. Quite right. <laughs> well, one of the other systems I'll throw in there then to to put a different uh, reflection on things is um, the cipher system, which is you know the strange oh, yeah. and numeric and all that. So that's got a slightly odd system in that you've got, uh, I can't remember what they're called now, it's like might, whatever, body, mind, and speed. soul, or whatever, or speed. Uh, yeah, speed, might, and another one. Ennui. Oh, no, <laughs> Intellect. So I can't remember. Between the different games, it's got a diff- slightly different name for them all as well, which doesn't help my memory. But basically, you've got three pools of stuff. And when you're trying to do fast things, you can spend points out of your speed pool to, to doing faster or to doing better. Uh, and similar for might and things like that, if you've got a might defence, you might spend points out of your pool to try and help your defence roll and things like that, that sort of nature. Mm. But they're also your hit points. So when you run out of a pool, uh, then you get, you, you're impaired or something it's called, you get like a minus one. And then if you run out in two pools, then there's a, a, a more severe penalty. And if you run out of all three pools, then you, you're dead. Um, but the weird thing about it is that you can spend these points of pull to give you extra bonuses to, to things, but they're also your hit points. So mm. what do you think about that sort of mechanic where you can kind of... The, the odd one is that I've found that you, you kind of want to know what you're being shot with because if it's only a light <laughs> weapon, it, it's yeah. something going to do two damage, so you don't want to spend three pull trying to avoid the blow because you've injured yourself more and you might get hit anyway. So there's that weirdness about it. But how, well, how about the whole thing of having a pool of resources that you can spend but are also your hit points? Yeah, well, yeah, well, any kind of like um, any kind of multitasking resource is something you've got to look at a little bit, sort of like side eye, I think. Yeah. So, because <laughs> that, because that, because every game has an economy, right? So whether whether you like it or not, there's an action economy or there's a resource economy. There's always all kinds of economies. Now, if you're playing competitive card games, which I know you do, guys. Right, the, yeah. to win those games, you have to win those economy battles. So, if something costs you one thing to do, you need to find a way of doing two things for the same cost. That's yeah. that's what you do to get your leverage. That's all fine and dandy, but I don't know how much of a place that has in your role playing session, where you are having to make meta calls on a pretty regular basis about about the uh, the consequences of your actions. Now, in your trad game the GM makes the meta call all the time. You know, do I drop a one-room monster into this? Do I have a surprise round? Do I let you use that spell in a creative way or not? You know, that that's that's okay. That seems to be acceptable territory. But yeah. one of the things I remember about Cypher and, and, and a lot of the more modern games is there's no, there's no GM screen. Is There's no sense of illusion. It's like, this is the raw number and it's sitting there on the table. What are you going to do with that raw number? So... If you get to spend something that you need for something else on something else, I don't know, mate. I think you might be making decisions in your head that are a little bit dissociated, to use a bit of a, a gaming mechanic term. Uh, and, it, and it reminds me of those terrible game designs where you had to use your experience points to get ben- benefits in the game immediately. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. fact, Cypher does that too, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It, so you get, you get physical bits of the game which you can either save for later or cash in straight away and and, and those decisions which I know I've spent over 50 podcasts now saying I like game in my game sometimes they boot me out of the game quite readily um, or boot boot me out of the out of the role play out of the story and um, in those circumstances that is exactly where I'd be thinking I'd be thinking about trying to be effective rather than interesting 
and uh, you should always pick interesting over effective if you're going to be playing role playing games. Yeah, in my not so humble. Yeah, yeah, and um, that's yeah, that getting experience points, but then you might have to spend them on rerolls or something. That's <clears throat> that's nonsense. What, yes. What? Why? You've accumulated basically punished anyone who got involved all the time. I was in the heat of the action, doing all the interesting <laughs> stuff. Then it with less experience and shitter characters at the end of it. Like that, that can't be right. That's nope. not a way to drive play, is it? No, 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 no. No. So, so that kind of resource management that that takes you slightly out of the, out of the situation and makes you think in a meta <coughs> way. Yeah, I don't know about that one so much. Um, whereas you know, and, and I keep uh, the only reason I use D and D is because it's the one I know. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying it's the best game in the world at all. I should just think up better examples, perhaps. But but when you've got like spell <laughs> slots and magic points and this, that, and the other, that doesn't seem like such a a big drop out of the game decision when you're trying to select your spells for the day, or you've got six spell points left, and you know that if you cast fireball, you're probably not going to have any more big spells for the rest of that session. That seems fair enough. That's entirely appropriate. I think so. That level of resource management, I'm down with. Um, I, I think if you've got some handy way of recording it, um, that is that is also full of color and narration, is is pretty cool. But yeah, but the more meta stuff, don't know, mate. And, and I find fate points a bit like that as well. They can be a bit meta, despite them trying really, really hard to be nothing but flavor. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's almost counterintuitive for me. But I flogged that horse a long time ago. <laughs> and got a fate point for it. I, I don't yeah. know how to spend it. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, um, the the spell slots things a funny one. Like um, in Hellfrost for Savage Worlds, they have a system for basically don't have power points. Yeah, and I prefer that much much more than the typical Savage where you have power point. You have ten or fifteen or whatever power points, mm. and then once you've spent and they slowly recharge and all this kind of stuff. That kind of being counted always seemed a bit pants to me as well. Like if I'm playing a magician and I've got a fireball, I want to fireball shit. Like mm-hmm. I, I realise there might be a game reason why you mechanically limit the amount of times you can do that or put some risk around it mm. so you don't fireball every single person all the time because that just seems a bit ridiculous. But if you want, you know, if you're a fire mage, you want to be a fire mage, don't you? Surely you want to be able to shoot cones of flame and, and do all yeah. kinds of grievy stuff, you know what I mean? That's, that's what you picked magic user for, not so that you can cast a magic missile and a Big B's thumbs up, and then that's it for the day. You've got to wait for twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. So I think I much prefer, prefer a system where you've got a bunch of spells you can cast at will. I always found that a little bit be- uh, weird playing some of the more recent D and Ds. We had like you once a day power. I didn't know whether I mm-hmm. should use it or not. And if I hadn't, I felt pissed off because I'd not used it that one time. So I'm not sure there. When you're talking about having specific spells and you can only use them so many times, whether then becomes onus on the gem to make sure there's opportunity to use them. Or that they flag up when the correct time is to use them, so that you don't miss that opportunity. Have you have anything like that? Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. And uh, to use a different example for once in my life, I mean, I think the probably the most modern thing uh, that I've seen that that puts a lot of a lot of emphasis on that would be your gumshoe games, of which there's now a million different variants. But that has a a whole bunch of essentially spell points, except that they're from investigative abilities and general abilities and. Your character sheet is nothing but a, a, a big stack of little pools of resource that you can spend. Um, and I've had to wrap my head around it a few times. I'm, not, I'm in no way an expert in the game whatsoever. But clearly, if you've got a character that's got like, you know, six, uh, six points in computer sciences and two points in forgery and, uh, and all the rest of it, you kind of want to use those points. Because that's mm. why you put them on the character sheet, yeah. And it must behoove the GM then to put together a scenario where that is likely to happen, unless it's so sandboxy that you can just you can get away with saying, "Well, I'm going to use forgery to for the for this part of the scenario," and the GM has to go, "Oh, okay, then." And then it's player led, isn't it? <laughs> Which I don't. Well, you know, you can do, of course you can do that to an extent, but in an yeah. investigation game, that's oh, there's probably another podcast in whether you can do sandbox investigations. Uh, people will tell me you can but then I can't do a non-sandbox investigation so what do I know but um, the resource pool in that game that that's definitely a sense of I know I can only do stuff a certain amount of times before you start mucking about re- refresh mechanics and so on so if you've got something you can only use a limited amount of times you want the use of it to be more important and more impactful yeah. than the use of something you can do all the time so a fighter with a sword it's okay to miss because 
no one's going to stop you using it again. Mm. So that seems, you know, fighters don't get upset when they miss with their broadswords. Sometimes they do, but that's a different thing. <laughs> but but mages, um, mages with fireballs do get upset when people save against it. And I think in Gumshoe, you'd get upset if you dropped a bunch of ability points on something and felt you didn't get much bang for your buck. Yeah. So... So that's the kind of thing I'm thinking about there, mate. And that might be the same with Cypher as well. There might be if you've got like a limited pool. Is that how it feels? Uh, yeah, it can, well, it can be a bit weird. So um, everything works in levels, like 1 to 10, and you basically mm. multiply by them by 3. Um, so if something's difficulty 7, you need to roll 21, and you're rolling a d20. So that's, you know, trying to get 21 on d20 is quite bad. So you, you bring in things like edge or abilities or tools you've got, and each level will bring that down by three to get to a number that you might, might, might mm. want to hit or whatever. And vice versa when you make a defense roll. So if someone's trying to shoot you with a big fuck off gun, you might spend some pool to make sure, you, or try and make sure you don't get hit by increasing the, the ease of your defense roll. But then you might miss the roll anyway and buy more than the amount you dropped it by so it didn't make any difference. And then you set the damage and you've lost a lot of pool for trying to defend yourself. Right. Um, so there are situations where... I don't know. Oh, you, you roll and you would have made it anyway. So you think, well, I spent some pool. It didn't really matter. Might as well have not spent it. So that that's mm. always the risk of any game where it's like you get to spend something before dice are rolled, uh, and it may or may not help you. Uh, and that's always a bit of a risk, isn't it? It's like sometimes with fate, yeah. where it's like, do you want to spend this for a plus two before you roll? Because some of the the hacks say you have to do that rather than yes. doing it afterwards. And if you spent it in front and it didn't matter, you feel like you've wasted something. So I think that a similar sort of like effect happens in Cypher sometimes as well, that you spend pool and it doesn't feel like it got you anything. Because mm-hmm. it, it literally didn't. When you see the dice result, you can work out the mechanics. And you feel like you cheated yourself almost, or it wasn't worth it. Yeah, but if you go to the other side of it and, and you spend it afterwards, for me that sometimes feels like you've taken the tension out of it too. So you've yes. robbed yourself of that bit by making sure of stuff. So yeah, I think you know push your luck mechanics are kind of ubiquitous. I, I kind of like them, but well, too much of anything can be a bad thing, can't it, mate? I suppose. Yeah, I think it's it's getting that um, getting the amount right. If you know what I mean. The the, mm. the thing with cipher is it's quite fiddly. Certainly at, at the lower circles, where you can only make like one one level adjustment rather than two or three as you get up in the circles and stuff like that. Yeah. Is if you roll a d twenty, you can only move the target number by three that doesn't feel like you can make enough of an impact on the roll sometimes, I think. Right, okay. And, and there's yeah. other things you can bring in, like if you've got a bit of gear, that might alter it by another three, and if you've got something else, it might be... And then you can change the number by nine, and, you know, getting plus or minus nine when you're only 20, that's impactful. So I think part of it sometimes the scale of, like, am I likely to make a difference by spending this stuff, or am I just doing it in blind hope? Yeah. Uh, and that comes down to players being able to make decisions they can have an effect with, rather than... You know, a slight nudge which may or may not help. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Can I take you to uh, to an example of something that isn't a mechanic, but an example of a setting? So, yes. Um, we've been talking about bean counting, and we've been talking about resources and stuff like that, and it's and it's all based around a character sheet and about the mechanics of the game usually. But I wondered what we thought of um, games where that actually really matters in the setting. So post-apocalypse gaming. Now, for me, I love a bit of post-apocalypse gaming. Still kind of looking for the one that really, really works for me. But one of the things I quite like about it is the resource management actually takes place in the game world as well. Mm. So there, there's a game where you want to know how many bullets you've got. There's yes. a game where you want to know how much food you've got or how much gas you've got in the tank. And actually the accumulation of resources is in some sort of post-apocalypse games is going to be the whole point of the game. Yeah. So, I'm a bit of a fan, and and I think, I think I remember from Cipher System as well, and, and other games like that. Sometimes that kind of resource management can be can be replicated by the use of like cards for kit, and I'm thinking of stuff like Gamma World, where you get little one use items. Clearly, the the, the ultimate one use item being a grenade. Right. <laughs> 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 There's not a lot you can do with that after you pull the pin. So. You know, where, where do you stand on that kind of thing, mate? Because that that would seem to me to really pull resource management front and centre. Yeah, no, I like that if, because and it says we discussed right back at the start, isn't it? Because that's what the game is about, almost. Mm. You know that obviously there are some post-apocalyptic games are a bit more about 
your relationships between each other and how you survive and these conditions sort of falls away a bit and the bean count elements irrelevant compared to you know the, the ennui or whatever else that might come out in some of the hippie games mm. um, but yeah certainly in a more traditional game it's really about what what stuff you can get your hands on and what that yeah. means for your character and how wealthy he is almost and how effective he is and whether he can actually shoot someone or not and that kind of stuff so like, I think that is a game that specifically should be about you know what what resources have you got so then mm. keeping track of it becomes very important because that's a big part of the the sort of theme of the game, isn't it? So I think you're right. From a setting point of view, if you play something like that, then it's something important to the game that you need to keep track of. Because hmm. you, you you would feel hard done by if in a post-apocalyptic game where you'd scavenged three bullets out of an old shopping mall and then you just had to make a wealth roll to see whether you got some food that night. You'd be like, what? <laughs> like, surely this bullet is worth something. I wrote it down and everything. You, 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 you know, you don't want to go too abstract at that kind of level, do you? If if that's if that's a part of the game, yeah. Your, and your equal. equipment list is really important, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it should be the main part of your character sheet more than probably yeah. most of your stats, I would think. Uh, and similarly, if someone's gone to the extent of learning metallurgy and how to forge their own bullets and all the rest of it, they'd be a bit annoyed if you found the cache of like two thousand bullets in a box in a shopping mall or something. You know, it's just like, yeah. well, you know, you've got to use use the uh, the themes of the game sensibly, haven't you? Hmm. Definitely. But I, think, I suppose the other bit of, of sort of being counted, but because it can be done so infrequently and on a high level, I quite like it. Is stuff like in Blaze where you've got a gang or um, the one roll engine game Rain, we have corporations. So if, you, mm-hmm. if you're a pirate, it's your pirate fleet, or if you're a, I don't know, a city state sultan, it's, it might be a bunch of um, guilds or things that live underneath you. And they've got uh, sort of like a scale of wealth and resource and influence and things like that. Uh, and I like that kind of being counted in games, I guess, where you as the party might have a thing or a group or a location, like a hideout that's got stuff. And being able to like level up your location like it's its own little character. Mm. Or it, it takes hits or you know, you can get some bonuses by doing certain things with it or upgrading stuff, which gives you the excuse for why you're going out and getting money so that you can, you know, kit out your, your hideout or whatever it is. I, I quite like that element of it. It sort of gives you a reason to go out and do the things that you're doing. Because you've got something that's yours, and you're trying to grow. If you know what I mean, as, as a group. So that's probably the the one bit of encounter I really do like. Yeah, uh, and I've I've completely nicked that from for my game King of Dungeons. So in, in that game, mate, you uh, your your guild, which is your party, basically has its own character sheet. So everybody gets their character sheet for their character, not unreasonably, and your party has its own sheet. It's not it's not a new idea at all, but it's where you put your resources and it's where your resources go that you collect on your quests and missions and so on. They go to your central supply um, because that's where you would go to to get resources in the game, whether it be healing potions or better armor or uh, a contact or you know a relationship with the Thieves Guild, whatever. That will go to you as a group. So I actually put quite a bit of resource management off of the main character sheet that you just cart around with you on a daily basis and into your your yeah your 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 block that sits behind you whether that be a big faction or a small one and that's quite fun because then everybody can contribute to it and that that's just you know an expansion of the idea of a party treasure sheet most D&D games have one of those don't they where someone just writes on an index card or whatever yeah and divvies it up afterwards so you know that that almost becomes like a separate resource sheet so you can kind of outsource bits of resource management on some occasions and yeah. that that can be quite fun because nobody seems to mind tracking um gang members in your biker gang in a post-apocalyptic world that seems like a cool thing to write down but <laughs> if you had to like you know take their salary off of your gold piece total off your character sheet every week <laughs> that would be tedious in the extreme <laughs> so don't Julie's do that on, kids Julie's on maternity um, so oh, Julie gets Christ, yeah. half pay after six months um, that's right <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that'd be rubbish well it's, it's something that you see in um, in sort of fiction all the time don't you know like how many times did the base get attacked and then all the soldiers have to run to the armory to pick up the rifles and all that yeah. kind of you know it's stuff that just happens that doesn't seem to happen in role playing games you've got people wandering around with a like a, a minigun, an assault rifle, sniper rifle, shotgun, SMG, mm. two pistols, a knife. Well, it's just like loaded down with this entire army they carry around, which really, yeah. you know, doesn't make a lot of sense in the real world, especially when you go into the bazaar to buy something and you're yeah. tilled up like you're going to war. Yeah. It makes a lot more sense doing the Firefly thing where they're going to go out on the mission 
and uh, James told he can't bring the grenades. And he's like, "What? Oh, come on!" And the cast right. was just like, "No, don't fuck about. Like, you know, just bring what you need for the mission." And and, and having having the stuff there, so your characters know they've got it, but working out what to bring or having it as a group resource feels a lot more how things would work if you know what I mean, or a lot more sensible. Yeah, exactly. And I I sort of took the basic idea from uh, from what's now an old game, Spycraft. Which is <laughs> Spycraft's got something in it for everyone to love. I don't think it's possible for everyone to love everything in it. All of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'd still be reading it now. Um, but one of the really nice things that I always really liked about it was the gear, um, because they have a gearing up phase. Yeah. So you've got all your normal stuff, like you know, you would buy your your, your speedboat and all the other stuff that you would have as an espionage agent. But you'd have your special stuff, and that would be like Q does in James Bond films. You would be given stuff. And that means you know it's coming up in the scenario. Yeah. But you wouldn't go and buy that stuff necessarily. You wouldn't look through the catalogue and go, you know, I want a magnetic bomb and a, and a laser pencil um, and that kind of stuff. You, you would just get assigned that kit for that mission. Um, and it was very, very exciting when you actually got to go, aha, so that's why I was given the Quantum Buster rifle. Brilliant. <laughs> and that that's like fun, isn't it? Yes. And that's, you know, that, that ticks, that scratches the same itch as when you, you put down like a cool little ability on your character sheet. The GM remembers you've got that, and then gives you a chance to put the spotlight on it. Yeah, you know, that that's nice, and and that's kind of resource management that's outsourced into a meta part of the game, which then makes sense later in the main game, and that's that's a cool place for it to be. Yeah, no, agree. Yeah, well, if we're going to start agreeing with each other to that sort of level, mate, it's probably time to find a more contentious podcast. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> it for that. I think we've solved, we've solved it. We've solved bean counting, everybody. Don't worry about it anymore. Brilliant. So if everyone can just like you know knock off a couple of fatigue points, uh, <laughs> take a quick refresh. <laughs> we'll be we'll be back next time with more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys, and catch you next time. Cheers. You can get in touch with the Smart Party via your favourite electronic means. Look us up on the forums where we're just about everywhere, or you can simply email us at thesmartparty at hotmail.com. Your comments, insights, questions and revelations are always welcome. Roll diplomacy!